Chapter Twenty Five of Gold by Stuart Edward White. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Battle. We had a good deal of trouble finding the exact spot where we had left him, for we could get no answer to our calls. He was down in a heap, covered with blood and quite dead. The savages had scalped him. In our long companionship, we had grown very fond of him for he was a merry, good-natured, willing soul. God, cried Bagsby, deeply moved, I'll put a ball through the next one of those devils I meet. We returned slowly to the fire, carrying the body, which we laid reverently one side and covered with a blanket. In all our hearts burned a fierce, bitter anger. Sullenly, we turned to prepare ourselves a meal from the supplies our hosts offered us. The latter were the father and five sons of a backwoods family from the northwest, Pine by name. They were all tall, heavily built men, slow-moving, slow-speaking, with clear, steady eyes, a drawing way of talking, and the appearance always of keeping a mental reservation as to those with whom they conversed. I suppose they were ignorant enough men, as far as education goes, but they always impressed me as being somehow a superior type. Possibly it was because of the fact that they perfectly corresponded to their environment, which was the wilderness. In detail, the old man was upward of sixty, his beard long and grizzled, his hair about his shoulders. The oldest son would count about thirty, and the others went down in stepladder fashion to the youngest, a fine, big, smooth-faced boy of sixteen. They were named after Old Pine's favorite heroes, evidently. There was Davy Crockett Pine, and Governor Boggs Pine, and President Tyler Pine, and Daniel Boone Pine, and Old Hickory Pine, the youngest, an apparent contradiction in terms. They were called by their odd first names, Governor, President, Old, without the least humor. Just now they stood tall and grim behind us as we ate, and the gray dawn and the rose dawn grew into day. Nobody said anything until we had finished. Then Yank rose to his full height and faced the attentive men. I want vengeance, he announced in an even voice, stretching forth his long, lean arm. Those devils have harried our stock and killed our partner, and I'm not going to sit quiet and let them do it. He turned to us. Boys, said he, I know you're with me there, but I'm going to get our friends there to go with us. Old man, he said to Pine, you and your sons help us with this job, and we'll locate you on the prettiest diggings in these hills. You bet, agreed McNally. You don't need to make my boys no offer, replied Pine slowly. Those devils were after our horses, too, and they'd have got them if you hadn't come along. We'd been told by a man, we believe, that there weren't no Indians in this country, or you wouldn't have seen us sleeping so close to our fire. Where do you all reckon to come up with them? Our old trapper interposed. Their ranchery is down the valley somewhere, said Bagsby, and we'll have to scout for it. We must go back to camp first and get a ready. McNally and I murmured against this check to immediate action 
but saw the point after a moment. The pines packed their slender outfit. We bound the body of our poor friend across his horse, and mournfully retraced our steps. We arrived in camp about ten o'clock to find Johnny and Don Gaspar anxiously on the alert. When we had imparted our news, their faces, too, darkened with anger. Of us all, Vasquez had been the only man who never lost his temper, who had always a flash of a smile for the hardest days. Hastily, we threw together provisions for several days and arranged our affairs as well as we could. We all wanted to go, and Don Gaspar, in spite of the remains of his malarial fever, fairly insisted on accompanying the expedition. Senors, he said with dignity, this was my own man from my own people. Nevertheless, somebody had to stay in camp, although at first some of us were inclined to slur over that necessity. There's a strong chance that Indians will drift by and take all our supplies, Bagsby pointed out. Chances are slim in only a day or so. You must admit that, argued Johnny. Let's risk it. We can scratch along if they do take our stuff. And the gold? That nonplussed us for a moment. Why not bury it, I suggested. Bagsby and Pine snorted. Any engine would find it in a minute, said Pine. And they know gold's worth something, too, put in Yank. This is a scout, not a house-moving expedition, said Bagsby decidedly, and somebody's got to keep camp. I'll stay for one, offered old man Pine, his eyes twinkling from beneath his fierce brows. I've fought enough Injuns in my time. After some further wrangling, we came to drawing lots. A number of small white pebbles, and one darker, were shaken up in a hat. I drew in the fourth turn and got the black. Hard luck, son, murmured old man Pine. The rest were eager to be off. They leaped upon their horses, brandishing their long rifles, and rode off down the meadow. Old Man Pine leaned on the muzzle of his gun, his eyes gleaming, uttering commands and admonitions to his five sons. "'You old,' he warned his youngest, "'you mind and behave, and don't come back here without you bringing a scalp.' We spent the next two days strictly in defense for we dared not stay long from the stockade. I was so thoroughly downcast at missing the fight that I paid little attention to Pine's well-meant talk. My depression was enhanced by the performance of the duty the others had left to our leisure. I mean, the interment of poor Vasquez. We buried him in a grassy little flat, and I occupied my time hewing and fashioning into the shape of a cross two pine logs, on the smooth surface of which I carved our friend's name. Then I returned to the stockade, where old man Pine, a picturesque tall figure, in his fringed hunter's buckskin, sat motionless before the cabin door. From that point of vantage, one could see a mile down the valley, and some distance upstream, and one or the other of us occupied it constantly. About three o'clock of the second day, Pine remarked quietly, There they come. I was instantly by his side, and we strained our eyesight in an attempt to count the shifting figures. Pine's vision was better and more practiced than mine. 
They are all there, said he, and they're driving extra horses. Ten minutes later, the cavalcade stopped and the men dismounted wearily. They were, as the old man had said, driving before them a half a dozen ponies, which Governor Boggs herded into the corral. Nobody said a word. One or two stretched themselves. Johnny seized a cup and took a long drink. Yank leaned his rifle against the wall. Old man Pine's keen, fierce eye had been roving over every detail, though he, too, kept silent. "'Well, old,' he remarked, "'I see you obeyed orders like a good soldier.' The boy grinned. "'Yes, Dad,' said he. And then I saw what I had not noticed before, that at the belt of each of the tall, silent young backwoodsmen hung one or more wet, heavy, red and black, soggy strips. The scalping had been no figure of speech. Thank heaven, none of her own people were similarly decorated. So horrified and revolted was I at this discovery that I hardly roused myself to greet the men. I looked with aversion, and yet, with a certain fascination on the serene, clear features of these scalp-takers. Yet since, in the days following, this aversion could not but wear away in the face of the simplicity and straightforwardness of the frontiersmen, I had to acknowledge that the atrocious deed was more a product of custom than of natural barbarity. Old Pine, of course, not at all affected, bustled about in the more practical manner of getting coffee and cutting meat. And after a moment, I aroused myself to help him. The men lay about on the ground, exhausted. They drank the coffee and ate the meat, and so revived, little by little, arrived at the point of narration. "'It's sure one hell of a ride down there,' remarked McNally with a sigh. "'Good deal like the foothills of the Snake Range, Pop,' put in President Tyler Pine. "'We've been riding pretty nigh every minute since we left here,' agreed Bagsby. "'That ranchery was hard to find. "'Little by little the tale developed. "'No one man, in the presence of all the others, "'felt like telling us the whole story. "'We gathered that they had ridden the canyon for several hours, "'passed our first camping grounds, "'and finally out into the lower ranges. "'Here they lost a trail left by the Indians,' when they had first visited our camp, but in casting in circles for it, had come on fresher pony tracks. These they had followed persistently for many miles. I couldn't see the sign of a track for a mile at a time, on that hard ground, interpolated Johnny. At length the tracks had struck into a beaten trail, and then we knew we were on the way to the ranchery, said Bagsby. The village they found located in a flat by the side of a stream, and they halted to determine just what to do. It was finally decided that while an attack on horseback would undoubtedly strike more instant terror, yet the difficulty of shooting accurately from a gallop would more than offset this effect. Therefore nine of the party crept up afoot, leaving three to lead forward the horses some distance in the rear. I was one of them, said Johnny. They evidently had seen me shoot. I seemed to be always out of it. The men had wormed their way to within a hundred yards of the flimsy huts or teepees when they were discovered by the dogs. 
the indians immediately rushed out pell-mell in a crowd and were met by a deadly volley from the white men's rifle caught absolutely by surprise they turned and fled some few loosed random arrows their horses coming up at a run in the convoy of the rear guard each man threw himself into his saddle and started in pursuit shooting right and left with colt's revolvers whenever they caught up with the fugitives johnny told admiringly how the backwoodsmen had reloaded their rifles while galloping all i could do to shoot mine off let alone loading he confessed there was no resistance and little mortality after the first volley the indians bolted like rabbits into the brush the white men then returned leisurely to the village which they proceeded to burn to the ground it made a grand bonfire interrupted johnny went up like gunpowder and the indians yelled and howled at us from the side hills all the time the raiders had fired a few defiant and random shots in the direction of the howling and then after collecting the ponies that had not stampeded rode slowly back the way they had come didn't see anything of our three horses i asked nary horse said buck barry i figure they just naturally stampeded off when the rows started are you sure those were the same indians i asked a long silence fell well what if they wasn't and that's by no means sure demanded buck barry at last a little defiantly the whole lot of thieves and murderers and if they'd had a chance at us you'd bet they have taken it and we showed the red devils they can't monkey with us i looked toward the cross over vasquez murdered as wantonly as ever a man was murdered for plunder and could find nothing to say whatever the eternal equities of the case may be and long since i have given up trying to guess what they are the cold practical fact remains that never during our stay on the porcupine did any indian come near us again and i am convinced that if the initial stealing of horses and murder had gone without reprisal we should have been a second time and more boldly attacked but if that was the wrong village what a train of reprisals and reprisals again in turn we may have laid only we didn't start it and never would have persisted johnny stoutly end of chapter twenty five